0: Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health.
1: We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause.
0: That's why we create Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the
1: burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves.
0: So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey, everyone. We don't have Clara and Grace in your ears this morning. We have Hannah and Grace. So Hannah is our (laughs) new team member for I Quit Sugar, and I have invited her on so she can get to know you, you can get to know her. So Hannah, welcome to the team. Welcome to the podcast. Could you tell our audience three fun facts about yourself?
1: Amazing. Thanks for that intro, Grace. Let's start with I can be a bit of a star sign girly, so I'm going to tell you my star sign. I'm a Leo, and anyone that knows me would tell me that I am definitely a Leo, like the Leoist Leo. Um, I'm a Leo too. You <laughs> can take from that what you will. <laughs> oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, amazing. I knew we got on. Yeah. Um, I danced for 15 years when I was like a young girl until I was 18. All sorts. I did ballet, jazz, hip-hop, tap. Oh, tap for a little bit bit of contemporary, bit of everything. Really love to dance.
0: Amazing. Um, I
1: kind of leave that to the, to the nights out these days, but definitely love dancing. And one more big Harry Potter fan that surprises some people, but I'm a big
0: Harry Potter fan. Me too. Have you watched the Fantastic Beasts movies?
1: Yes, I have.
0: Yeah.
1: I've actually seen I saw The Cursed Child in San Francisco as well, the two parts. Yeah. That was amazing. My stance is that anyone that is a fan and they haven't read the books, they're a fake fan. So I hope you've <laughs> read the books. <laughs>
0: have you read the books. Not all of them. Oh no. <laughs> okay, I'm a fake fan. I'll fit compliment we're both leos it was bound to happen (laughs) well thank you for those fun three facts now clara and i as our listeners know we always like to jump into a topical chat before we go into our interview and today's chat it's a little bit of a controversial topic within our community when we post on socials about it and write articles and we're talking about anti-grey hair serums now have you used these do you know what they're about I,
1: I've seen a little bit in like social media posts and that sort of thing, but I personally have not used
0: it, no. Now, I want to preface this conversation by saying you can do whatever you want with your hair. You can dye it pink, you can fix up your gray hairs, or you can go gray naturally. That is totally okay with you. But the reason I want to jump on this trend is because it is flooding my TikTok feed. And I see, like, skincare serums I use all the time, hair serums I haven't jumped on. But the interesting part about this is there's actually no solid evidence that this product reverses grey hairs or prevents them, and this product is actually more focused on scalp health and cell health. Why do we feel the need to cover up our grey hairs?
1: I I don't know if I would use a product like that. Like, I'm very much... I'm invested in taking care of my skin but I think when it comes to grey hairs there's some people and they look so incredible with like a full head like head of grey hair I think it's like a real um not like a statement beauty piece but even like I know the episode a few ago um you spoke about Pamela Anderson being makeup free and I think that those sorts of things should be so celebrated so I think gray hair, like whilst I'm absolutely not against anybody their hair to hide their grays or anyone that's self-conscious about their grays, I, I don't know where I stand. Maybe that's because I have very few gray hairs myself. I have very dark hair mm. um, and it's not colored whatsoever. So it's never been something that I've needed to actively participate in. But I don't know if I would waste my money.
0: This is not my natural hair color. Oh, oh. No, one, no one can say this. I'm like a dark brunette. <laughs> And I i don't like to admit this, but I am a little bit conscious of it because I can see I'm my regrowth and some greys coming through because I'm darker. Mm-hmm. And this is my issue with TikTok trends. They feed it to you and it's like, oh, that's a quick fix. That'll amend all my issues. And then you're pouring out money and it's actually not fixing the problem and then I've got to go back to the hairdresser in six weeks. But as well, I agree with you that, like, we need to celebrate when Pamela Anderson didn't wear makeup. Like that was an iconic. She incredible. Woman. She looked amazing. The clothes spoke for herself. So mm. we need to all, almost normalize gray hair. I
1: mean, I have like one or two for sure. But, and I see them and I'm like, oh, but
0: it's, it's
1: what a privilege to grow old that you do have gray hairs, right? So I think there's such a big part of it that is, you know, it's a natural part of aging. It's also, it's like, what is that, what is the messaging that we're putting out there? Like, you know, you do see those trends in TikTok and it's, okay, well, like women like us who have a little bit more life experience, like, sure, we can form opinions on whether or not we're going to go for or against something, but what about the younger girls who are thinking that, okay, well, now I need to look, be anti, I need to have no wrinkles and I need to dye my hair. So I like have this frozen body. And so I look exactly the same as I did when I was 30, when I was 50 years old. So and, and Great. Here's can we can we prevent them? I know I know so much of it is genetics. Like yes, stress can play into it, and vitamin deficiencies and that sort of thing. But I don't think it's something that can really be stopped too much.
0: Would you give it a try? Yeah, you know, I'm going to say no. So I have two friendship groups. Um, I have a group of friends who are younger than me, like five six years younger than me, and then I have friends that are late thirties and forties. And the, know what I've noticed, the friends that are younger than me, I feel more pressure to grey hair, Botox and fillers. I have feel more pressure for that with those girls than I do with the older women that have had kids and experienced life. So I, when I think of these things, I kind of lean more into, I'll probably just let myself age naturally and, you know, I've never wanted to be the prettiest girl in the bar. So why would I worry about it as I get older?
1: I think as well, the older the older you get, the less you care. I would like to think Ooh. that. I think you learn to love yourself that little bit more and care less about what other people think. And look, I could be the biggest like, fraud here because of course I like, I care what I look like. And sometimes like I have self-conscious moments as I would imagine most people do. But I think the older I get, the less I care about what I should look like and just what I'm happy looking like.
0: And I think if more of that messaging was out in social media rather than being picture perfect, I feel like more women would be comfortable with ageing their grey hair.
1: I think so. And you see see so much more in like um, beauty campaigns and um, like cover shoots and all that sort of thing. You see like more and more models looking less normal so to speak, in like air quotes, you can't see me, but everyone embraced in like different shapes, sizes, colorings, like all sorts of things. And it's more and more embraced rather than even like 10 years ago, like 20 years ago, what you would see um, on advertisements and marketing and like cover shoots, of what those people would look like. It's so different now, but I think we just need to see more of it.
0: Hey, it's grace here just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you join the eight week program and get eight weeks of easy delicious meal plans with full shopping lists and at five dollars fifty or under per serve it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy Each week we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited, join now. Now let's get back into the episode. Gut health is a complex and amazing area of the body. It is linked to so many areas like skin and nervous system. But did you know there is a unique and complex link between our gut and our hormones? Today, we invited our new Beat the Bloat eight-week program naturopath, Talia Swartz, onto the podcast. In our discussion, we deep dive into signs or symptoms that might indicate a hormonal imbalance related to our gut health, how stress impacts the gut, and what strategies she recommends for managing stress-related hormone issues, and how to identify different types of bloating. Talia, welcome to the podcast. I want to kick this off and ask, why did you decide to pursue a career as a naturopath?
2: Similar to a lot of, I think, healthcare practitioners and particularly naturopaths out there, it kind of came from my own health journey. So I was pretty healthy as a kid. And then late sort of teens, that kind of like grade 11, grade 12, I started getting sick so frequently and I always had tonsillitis. I was always on antibiotics, like glandular fever, all of the things, and. From there, like I took a couple of trips over to Southeast Asia and one of those trips I picked up a pretty nasty like stomach bug, some kind of parasite. And at the time, because I didn't really know much about like what to do for those kind of, I guess, conditions, I just took so many rounds of antibiotics and it just wrecked my gut. I mean, they work so well at particular things, but gosh, they really wrecked my gut. I had IBS, I had floating, I had food intolerances. And Yeah, at the time, my mum was like, actually, there's a naturopath down the road. Why don't you just go see her? And I had an appointment with her and literally like it completely shifted my life. Like I went from being too scared to leave the house because I thought I'd get, you know, IBS to then feeling so good, so much more energetic. I could eat all of the foods I was avoiding and yeah, it really changed my life. So at the same time, I was sort of not happy with what I was studying. And I just was like, you know what? I love this. This has changed my life. This is something I'm really passionate about. Like, yeah, dropped out of uni, started studying naturopathy, and, and yeah, like here I am basically. And then you're an
0: expert in hormone and gut health. Why did you decide to pursue those areas of the body?
2: I'm incredibly passionate about hormonal health as well and also just the interplay between gut and hormones, We really need to focus on both to have healthy hormones. And I went through a bit of an experience when I decided to come off birth control in like my early 20s and got post-pill amenorrhea, which is absent period for about nine or 10 months. And that really opened my eyes to the contraceptive pill, women's hormones. I started to learn a lot about that and I've really focused on that in my clinic, as well as how gut health, how our diet will also then influence our hormones. How does our gut influence our hormones? Because as we know, our gut is linked to so many areas of the body. Yeah, gut health is everything, I think. I think we need healthy gut for all of our systems, but particularly hormones. Like our gut, we have something called the estrobilome, and basically that is bacteria within the gut. That helps our body to eliminate excess estrogen. Now, when that's disrupted, so when we have dysbiosis in the gut, so bad bacteria, what actually happens is this estrogen kind of ends up recirculating and that leads to hormonal imbalances. So that's kind of one reason. Another reason is our absorption of nutrients. All of the beautiful nutrients we need for healthy hormones, we need to be absorbing them through the gut. So, what are signs of a hormone imbalance? So, hormone imbalance symptoms can really vary and they're often going to look different for each woman. But the main ones, the main red flags to look out for are things like PMS. So, that's premenstrual syndrome, like feeling really, really emotional, getting really angry. Uh, bloating, things like painful periods, things like heavy periods, irregular cycles, migraines, the list really goes on. And a lot of those symptoms we have really been told are normal and just part of being a woman. And in actual fact, they're not normal at all. They're just incredibly common. And it is completely possible to have a cycle where you're not experiencing any of those symptoms. And that should be the normal that we're all aiming for
0: yeah the amount of stigma around periods that like pain is normal headaches are normal from my experience I was on the yep. pill and I was getting migraines every time I got my period and I just was like like I was mm. bedridden and vomiting and sorry TMI and I just Not thought okay. well everyone everyone must get sick this is just what a period is because my mom and sister and friends told me pain's normal headaches are normal and you just move on with it so it's Mm. kind of crazy to think no that's not normal and finding that normal is just
2: a regular period I think that's the thing about like women's hormones and they really haven't been looked into enough like women don't show up enough in the research the clinical studies like often if you're like you have symptoms and you go to see a doctor like often they're kind of like well we don't know, like, it's normal, like, maybe you can take the pill, like, that's really the only options we have. And I really feel like we need to do so much better when it comes to women's hormones and supporting women when they are experiencing those symptoms, because some of those symptoms drastically, like will impact women's day to day, like to feel like, you know, to have two weeks of the month where you're not feeling your best, like that's so many weeks where you could be showing up as a healthy, vibrant person and you're just not able to because your hormones are out of whack. So when someone takes the pill, does that affect our bacteria in our gut at all? It can do, yeah. And often women will actually present with digestive issues when they're on the pill. We will also get nutrients that we're not absorbing properly when we're on the pill. So some in particular, magnesium, zinc, which is so crucial for women's hormones Um, And there's actually been some studies, I was looking into something recently around being on the oral contraceptive pill, actually increasing your risk of irritable bowel diseases. So that's things like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. So those real like inflammatory type conditions, there's been some associations with that now as well. So for
0: women that are on the pill and then they're going off the pill, is there some way to like provide nutrients to the body so then it's not a shock to the body when they go off the contraception.
2: Yeah, of course. And and this is a lot of the work that I do with clients is supporting them with that transition when they decide to, because obviously, you know, it has to be something that you decide you want to do and when the right time is. But often we'll do a bit of that preparation work, really replenish some of those nutrients, support gut health, support liver detoxification. And then when they come off birth control, typically that. I guess, transition period is a lot easier. It's quite common for women to experience post pill symptoms. Like me, myself, I experience post pill amenorrhea, there's post pill acne, post pill PCOS. You know, there's there's this really, there's quite a strong flow and effect from being on birth control. And a lot of women don't expect that when they come off the pill, they're sort of told like, I'm gonna feel amazing, I'm gonna feel so great. And then they come to me six months after and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going crazy, I've got chronic acne, like what's going on?
0: That was me and I, so I went off the pill during COVID and then all my acne came up but I thought I was just stressed because it was COVID and we're in lockdown. So then I Mm. went back on the Mm pill because I was like, well, I'm crazy, I'm crying, I've got acne, I just want to feel normal again. So I jumped back on the pill because I thought, well, that'll fix it but it was probably my hormones and I didn't Mm, realise. Yeah, it's a really common, I hear that a lot. It's a very common situation. So then how does diet
2: play a role in supporting our hormone balance and our gut health? It plays a huge role. I'm a really big believer in food as medicine and I do always recommend a balanced approach. I'm really, you know, an 80-20 kind of person and I recommend that in my clients too. But ideally for really healthy hormones and healthy gut, we really want to keep it simple. I always say to my clients, like, go back to basics, like, eat good quality meat, eggs, fruit, good quality dairy, like, try and limit stuff you're getting from packets that's processed. Like, in a way, think how our ancestors would have eaten. You know, they didn't have access to all of these packet foods, these refined sugars, these refined carbohydrates and vegetable oils and things like that. I think moderation is key and that's important. But I think if you want optimal hormone health and optimal gut health, we're really focusing on good quality protein, lots of fiber. So lots of veggies, lots of fruit and good quality complex carbohydrates from things like sweet potato, pumpkin, potato, small amounts of grains and things like that. So, yeah, I just really advocate for like a basic whole food approach. And I find a lot of my clients feel so much better with that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's a very similar approach to I Quit Sugar. And then things like alcohol, For an example, how does that affect our hormones, and is that something that we need to monitor?
2: Yeah, and look, this is a, I guess, a tricky one because you know, like I say, I like to promote balance. I do love a margarita every now and then, but the reality is that most Australians are consuming too, (laughs) are consuming too much alcohol, and we have to keep in mind, you know, like alcohol is used as an antibacterial, right? It um, kills bacteria. So it's going to do that within the gut. It can cause leaky gut. It can cause inflammation. And then that load on the liver is going to then impact our hormones. So particularly things like estrogen, uh, when we've got a load on the liver because we are consuming alcohol, uh, we're going to have trouble actually detoxing that estrogen efficiently, leading to more of those buildups. So yeah, alcohol is one of those things that really is not supportive of a healthy gut microbiome yeah but you know i I do understand that for most people they do enjoy a drink every now and then i think we can have balance there but we also need to be aware that it's really not supportive of our digestive health or our hormones for that matter you mentioned uh leaky gut there so how does alcohol Mm -hmm. like create leaky gut so alcohol is an irritant and it will cause i mean it's, it's essentially like alcohol could be considered in some ways like a poison to the body. It's going to cause inflammation. It will impact the tight junctions of our gut lining, which are there to help us absorb nutrients. Most people, and I'm sure many people can relate to this. If you have gone out, had a few drinks, often your gut feels quite off the next day. Maybe you've got looser stools, maybe you're getting stomach cramps. Like that is that direct link from having that, increased consumption of something like alcohol.
0: And then if you do have leaky gut, is there a way to heal that naturally with foods or is that more a deeper look into what we can do to fix it?
2: A bit of both. And it probably depends on whether this is just sort of a temporary leaky gut or whether you've got more of a chronic leaky gut. So, We will get temporary leaky gut when we do say have, you know, a few wines or a few cocktails out one night, uh, or if we're eating foods that are high in refined sugars, refined grains and things like that. But there's a couple of different things you can do to support that. So food-wise, similar to what I said before, basics, whole foods, reducing those refined and packet foods. There are also some nutrients that I really love to use for clients as well that just really help to kind of like heal and seal the gut lining which then makes sure that we're not only just absorbing the nutrients that we're eating, but that we're not getting excess toxins, waste and bacteria actually going out into the bloodstream because that then starts to trigger quite an inflammatory process within the body. And then another thing that affects our hormone
0: imbalance is stress. And it feels like we're all Mm -hmm. living stressful lives. And personally, I've only recently... Mm -hmm realized what being in rest and digest does for your body and in a calm state and like small things like eating Mm. a meal away from my computer has just been
2: such a game changer so how does stress affect our hormones stress is a big one and it's probably something i work on with every single one of my clients and I know it's easier said than done. You know, we hear all the time, like, just stress less or, you know, just increase your self-care. Like, what does that actually look like and what does that mean? And that's going to be different for everyone and in terms of what, what time and space you've got for that. But the reality is, is when we are in that fight or flight, when we're highly stressed, when we have high amounts of cortisol, that is going to directly impact our hormones by decreasing our hormone called progesterone. Now, progesterone is the dominant hormone in the second half of the cycle, so from ovulation onwards. Now, this is why a lot of women will actually find in that luteal phase, which is that two weeks before your period, they aren't as tolerant to stress or as resilient to stress. So it's quite common to experience more anxiety, more overwhelm, more racing thoughts and sleep troubles. And often that's because this high cortisol prevents our proper progesterone and, and good levels of progesterone should be calming you know it's supportive of sleep it helps calm the nervous system so that's a direct link and then not to mention you know the impact on the gut which then has a flow on effect on hormones as well so yes yeah, stress is a huge one and particularly for women like if they can really work on monitoring their stress levels and decreasing overall stress in that luteal phase particularly that will then help to prevent some of those like premenstrual symptoms. It will support fertility, support hormones, support early pregnancy as well.
0: What's some ways that our listeners can reduce their stress in that phase that they can do in their everyday life?
2: With stress, I always recommend to my clients basics. Focus on the basics first. There are so many you know, stress supplements out there and so many things marketed to us, but can we really nail the foundations? Can you get good sleep, seven to nine hours? Like, can you go outside more? Like, we're, humans aren't designed. We're not here to be, like, indoors on computers all day. Go put your feet on the grass. Like, go for a beach walk or go for a swim in a creek or something. And then get regular meals over the day. Balance your blood sugar with protein in every meal. Don't skip meals or, or like, fast, for example. You know, skip the breakfast. That's really important foundations But particularly for women in that luteal phase, if you are someone that is quite sensitive to stress and you notice you get more anxious here, just a few simple things you could do would be to reduce your caffeine intake. So a lot of women will find that caffeine, they're more sensitive to that in the luteal phase. I also recommend to my clients, like don't overbook your calendar if you can. You know, don't fill it with social things, big days at work, like, See if you can just slow down here a little bit and really prioritize that sleep. Maybe you're giving yourself a few sleep-ins that week. You will notice such a big difference when your period comes. There's something that I say to a lot of my clients, and it's if you don't rest leading up to your period, your period will make you rest. And that's Mm. often in the way of that fatigue and pain that a lot of women experience when they get their period. Will conquering stress earlier Mm -hmm. on in the phase help with PMS later during your period? Yeah, absolutely. Because if we've got lower levels of cortisol, cortisol being our stress hormone, that's not going to impair the production of progesterone. And when we have good progesterone production from ovulation onwards, you should have quite balanced hormones and you shouldn't really feel any of those premenstrual symptoms, because what's happening in a lot of women with that hormonal imbalance is they've got low levels of progesterone, meaning they've got high levels of estrogen, because these two really balance each other out. So even just that flow and effect, high cortisol will deplete your progesterone, which will then put you into a state of a hormonal imbalance, then you're going to be experiencing those symptoms of PMS. How does stress affect the gut or is that not even linked? It's very much linked. Yeah. So we've got that direct gut brain connection. I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with feeling really nervous or a little bit anxious. And you get that kind of funny feeling in your tummy. So or butterflies in your tummy, there's a direct link there. And it's very similar. Like if we are highly stressed, if we're in this state of fight or flight all the time, which it, comes in handy sometimes right if we're in an emergency situation if we need to quickly get away from a situation like that fight or flight is there to keep us alive but what we see now is so many people living in this fight or flight and like you said before your rest and digest you're not able to get into that rest and digest which is what we need to properly digest our nutrients also, stress and high stress in general will basically lower the immune system of our gut. So we've got, a, we've got something called secretary IgA within the gut, and this is kind of like your first line of defense. So it's the guy that kind of tags bacteria and pathogens and also identifies what's food to be absorbed. So often high stress will lower this, meaning you have more food intolerances or sensitivities. And you're also more likely to get overgrowths and parasites and things like that as well. We talked about alcohol, but is there what
0: lifestyle factors Mm -hmm. are crucial for maintaining hormonal balance and a healthy
2: gut? So, yeah, like we already talked about, stress is a big one. Another one is endocrine disrupting chemicals in our environment. So this I think is something that's probably not spoken about enough. So For women, this is a particularly big issue because we get exposed to so much every day. And these are chemicals that are commonly found in our skincare, our sunscreens, our washing powders, our cleaning products, our perfumes, our shampoo, conditioner. It can be quite overwhelming. And the reality is that there are some particular ones that we really want to avoid if possible. So particularly things like BPA, so plastics, I would really highly recommend not reheating your food in plastic and not exposing yourself unnecessarily to bpa because that that alongside with things like parabens sulfates and things like that they will all They work as endocrine-disrupting chemicals, meaning hormone-disrupting chemicals. So they can actually, when absorbed into the skin, bind to and kind of mimic our hormones. And that's a particularly bad issue with estrogen. So what we find is a lot of women and even a lot of men these days, which is quite scary, are getting higher levels of circulating estrogen from all of this exposure to chemicals. So, you know, I don't recommend throwing out everything and starting again, that's pretty overwhelming. But what I often say to my clients is like, when something runs out, maybe you run out of your spray and wipe, like can you maybe find something that's a little bit more natural and that doesn't contain some of those harmful chemicals? Because look, I don't personally believe they should be even allowed to be sold, but the reality is, is that they're there and they're out in our environment and we can control our home environment. So whatever you can kind of do to sort of, reduce that overall toxin exposure particularly to those particular ones the better off your hormones and your gut will be. So using the
0: chemicals is it over a long period of time that they affect your hormones or is it
2: more of a short-term thing that where it really disrupts them? So it's more going to be that constant exposure over a long period of time and I hear this quite a lot from women where this they sort of say like oh it's just you know it's just one lipstick or it's just one perfume and yeah that might be the case but like they've done studies in america for example and showing that women put on like over 150 chemicals before they even leave the house so Whoa. even if it's those little exposures over long periods of time that really builds up and and this isn't just you know woo woo stuff this is documented in the science now in terms of how much these Endocrine disrupting chemicals are impacting women, but even so much is now starting to impair male fertility, sperm quality, and yeah, that's pretty scary. So I really do think that's one of the biggest areas we really need to work on to support women's health and ultimately, you know, fertility for for women and men as well.
0: Absolutely, I didn't realize that's a hundred is a big number to be putting on yourself or consuming or around you yeah yeah so scary and then can a hormone imbalance contribute to bloating and in either men or women
2: definitely more common in women and i would say the predominant hormone imbalance that would be contributing to bloating would be that high estrogen kind of picture lower progesterone so, a lot of women notice that their bloating or digestive symptoms get worse before their period. So, in that luteal phase, higher levels of estrogen will also increase something known as histamine. And that will, be, the two of these together, when they're high, will trigger quite a lot of inflammation in both the digestive system and in the body as a, as a whole. So, typically, it's that hormonal imbalance that's causing things like the fluid retention, the bloating, the puffiness in that one to two weeks before the period. So is that common for like women
0: to be bloated or is bloating not meant to be a common sign?
2: Yeah, I would say bloating is one of the most common complaints that my clients have. And I think it's really important to identify the difference between getting a little bit full and having a slightly bigger stomach at the end of the day, that's normal. But Mm -hmm. if you're getting any bloating, that's like, uncomfortable, cramping, it's painful. You're having to unbutton your clothes or wear loose clothing. Uh, If it's really impacting like how you feel about yourself, if you're getting really self-conscious about it. And a lot of women will say to me, they feel like at the end of the day, they look six months pregnant. Like that sort of bloating is, it's not normal at all. And That's what we want to start to investigate, figure out what that root cause is.
0: Can food sensitivities play a role in chronic bloating? And if they do, how do you go about identifying them?
2: They can do. What I do believe though, is that usually with food sensitivities, it's less about the specific food and more about the state of the digestive system. So a lot of my clients will say like, oh, I think it's, you know I think it's this but then I ate it the next day and I was fine but then two days later it flared me up again and they really try so hard to identify what the thing is causing the bloating and often what I say is look it's probably not that food it's probably the state of your digestive system and when we can kind of figure out what's going on there and start to implement some of those strategies for better digestion a lot of clients find they can reintroduce some of those foods now obviously things like celiac disease you know, an allergy to protein and dairy, that's different. That's an immune response. But a food sensitivity is more just an inability to digest and absorb that nutrient for or that food for whatever reason. And there's always a reason. And that's what that's that's what we're good at. That's what we're good at finding out.
0: Mm, Finding the root cause of the problem. Is there different types of bloating? Because you mentioned before, Some people are finding they're six months pregnant and then some people are just feeling a little bit full Mm. after dinner. So how do I distinguish between the different types?
2: Yeah, so typically the most common ones that I will hear from clients is either that sort of upper belly bloating where they're feeling that sort of underneath their ribs and they're getting quite bloated there. And that can sometimes indicate some imbalances within the small intestine. So something like SIBO, for example, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Other sort of bloating where you're feeling, you know, within half an hour after eating, you're feeling just really kind of full and bloated kind of in that more lower abdominal area, that's when we're starting to look into more things like stomach acid and enzyme production, because what's typically happening there is the food is just sitting in the stomach and it's just fermenting and it's not being properly digested and absorbed. So is there a way to like nourish your stomach acid at all? Definitely. And this is truly where I feel like a lot of people's digestive symptoms come from is a lack of stomach acid. And the crazy thing is, is that often symptoms of that will be things like reflux and indigestion, which modern medicine actually treats as an overproduction of acid and gives people antacids and PPIs, which is only depleting the stomach acid. But we need really good stomach acid. That's how our body breaks down and starts to absorb and starts those digestive processes within the digestive system. In terms of ways you can support your stomach acid, the first one is activating your rest and digest it's so simple but so hard for a lot of people because you know we're busy we're running around like I get it but if you can just take two really deep belly breaths before you eat and then chew your food properly so not you know quickly shoveling it down or sculling a smoothie on the way to work but actually sitting down being mindful of your food, chewing it, you know, 30 times as a minimum, that really starts to support that digestive enzyme and also the stomach acid to break it down. Some other things or some common mistakes that I see, we don't want to be drinking heaps of liquid around a meal. Ideally, try and have a little bit of a break with your water because that can sometimes start to affect that stomach acid. And some things like coffee and, and whatnot, that is sort of best avoided with a meal just to really support the stomach acid. Some dietary things you can do. Um, I love rocket. So rocket's a bitter food. It's a bitter vegetable. Uh, you, you, everyone will kind of know that, you know, peppery kind of taste that rocket has. So bitter foods are incredible for supporting our own production of stomach acid. Often with my clients, if they're struggling with that part of it, I might recommend they trial something like some apple cider vinegar and a little bit of water or well, I love herbal bitters for that. Now, we want to be mindful with the apple cider vinegar with your teeth and stuff, so maybe use a straw, uh, but that can be really supportive. But yeah, that's by far, the mo- why would I honestly would argue, one of the most important factors for our proper digestion. And I think a lot of not only digestive issues, but a lot of, say, like skin, skin troubles and things like that come from that lack of stomach acid, and you could be eating a, a great diet, but if you're not absorbing that, you're not going to be feeling the effects within your body.
0: Wow, I didn't realise stomach acid was such a crucial part. No, no one's really gone into it yeah. in that much depth. Yeah. For our listeners that, need, that they're feeling these symptoms and they need to get, either get educated or just take some first steps to feel better,
2: what would you recommend? I would recommend starting with the basics, mindful eating, getting in good quality protein in your meals and reducing your packet foods. Even that in itself can make such a huge difference. And then start to increase some of those bitter foods and those high fiber foods. So lots of fruits and veggies to support overall digestion. If you're not getting any relief with some of those sort of methods, Any serious symptoms, definitely go and get that checked with a GP, you know, things like extreme bloating, extreme stomach pain, blood in the stool, like mucus in the stool, like that stuff you want to go and get checked out, make sure there's nothing going on there. And then if there's like, you know, if say, for example, you've got something like IBS or you've been told maybe you have IBS. That's just an umbrella term. And my recommendations would then be to seek out a holistic practitioner, whether that's, you know, an acupuncturist or a naturopath or a nutritionist, or look for some kind of holistic way of supporting that because there really is so much that we can do for that. And yeah, you really don't have to live with things like bloating, irritable bowel syndrome, you know irregular bowel movements reflux like you shouldn't have to live with those and there's so much we can do from a holistic perspective
0: talia thank you for joining us on the podcast today you are a wealth of knowledge around hormones and gut health and we're so grateful that you have not only joined us on the podcast but you're also joining us in our new beat the Bloat eight-week program and for all our members who want to learn a little bit more i'll put links in the show notes
2: below this podcast please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it we want to help as many people as possible live healthier
0: lives this podcast is general in nature we aren't doctors or health
2: practitioners but if this podcast has prompted something for you we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you this podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation We pay our respects to their Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.